Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we're enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Guess what, Charlie? Did you know we have a newsletter? You can actually go and subscribe. You got to head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter. Now, you were going to say something. Usually, you don't say stuff on intros. Come on, I'll yeah, let you in. Yeah, I actually subscribed on all four of my email addresses just to bump up my subscription numbers. <laughs> all right, here we go. I actually put in... In the, like it was the same email address, but you can put like grant plus one and it subscribes again just to test it out. So I get six emails every time we get emails. I also <laughs> didn't delete the test emails off the list just to help my ego as well. <laughs> That's not going to help. It just, and I, uh, to be fair, wait, 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 I, actually, I swear I, the emails are good and you should subscribe. <laughs> I listening to this, don't let it put you off. <laughs> I sit there and actually open all six emails just to make sure the open rate's okay. And I click on the links and stuff just so I'm like deliverability, make sure it goes to people. So everyone wait, who's listening to this. Do you like your own posts on Facebook as well? I have to wait until 10 people like it so it like hides my name. <laughs> so you can like wait. You can't do it at the start. You have to wait and then like it. If you're listening to this, trust me, we do provide more value in the emails than we're talking about right now. Head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter. Get in on it. But before we get started, let's prove to everybody we are serious and good at what we do, Charlie, by cueing your infamous disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, let's dive into this Q&A episode today, Charlie. We went out to the audience, asked the questions from everybody saying, what would you ask in relation to wealth creation, whether it be creating wealth from your business? And there were two pretty incredible questions that came out. So I'm just going to come straight into this one, Charlie. I'm going to ask you directly, how much is too much house? How do I know if I've got too much house, Charlie? I love this question so much. <clears throat> I love it. And I'll explain why is because I, I believe every business owner in Australia, actually I shouldn't say every, we'll say about 99% of them want to own. Yeah, they want to own a home. And I think it is something that is uh, not only like can be a great investment, but it also offers like an emotional uh, benefit as well. So like I'll, I'll tell you right now, sleeping in a house you own outright, it feels different. I, I've done it the first night I, I achieved it and had that and it's the best sleep you'll ever have. It's, it's magical. Now I realize that is potentially a stretch goal for a lot of people, but there's a bigger question of like how much is too much house. So we're playing in this, like, should we be investing and it makes sense to be a renter or buy a smaller house so we can build up assets outside of our home or should we be putting everything into the family home? And some people actually put every cent into their family home and it is their wealth. Uh, totally. Especially like in our parents' generation, very, very common. Damn boomers. Yeah. So what a lot of people, yes, those damn boomers, <laughs> don't often think about or understand is like if you have too much of your wealth in your house, well, then you don't have any assets outside of it building wealth for you or compounding for you. And it could actually end up like a massive liability. And uh, I want to tell some stories around this because I think the stories are the things that uh, really help people understand it. Um, my parents actually had too much house. So um, what happened is my father, being a builder, 
decided to buy in what I'll call a more like luxurious area. He bought a real or affluent area, whatever you would like to call it. Yep. He bought a massive block and built a massive house thinking that he would be able to sell it for a large profit at some point. So he was trying to skew the idea of like, well, we could have this really nice expensive home to live in. And it was an awesome home. I'm not going to downgrade that at all. It was a phenomenally good home. But the size of the mortgage that came with that home was massive also. Yeah. Now, imagine. in turn of that, all his cash and money was going into servicing that debt. Now, uh, I know on retrospect, like all that debt was actually on an interest-only loan as well because he had taken on such a big mortgage that he couldn't uh, even afford to pay principal and interest on the loan. So that's where you're like paying down the debt and the interest on it. Yep. So my father had, uh, in this circumstance, with the idea of he'll be able to make money on this home down the road because it's in a nice area and it's a beautiful home, got himself into a situation where there was so much pressure to earn an immense amount of pressure to earn. And then eventually that bled through to the rest of his life and also um, prevented him from investing in other things. So he wasn't buying investments like other properties or shares. It doesn't matter what the investment is because he couldn't. All his cash had to go into that home. Now, the key difference is here, when you buy, let's say, an investment property versus a principal place of residence, the person who lives in the house pays the mortgage, right? Yep. So when you buy an investment, you get rent and the rent can pay down the debt and the mortgage. But when it's in your own home, that's where the danger can really sit. And I, I just look at it and go, this is where the risk can come because if you're a business owner and your earnings was to stop, well, who's going to pay that mortgage? Completely. So wh why do you think like your father or even people that you know kind of go down that rabbit hole of like let's go get a massive house and a massive this, that, and the other, build a pl big place on a big block, et cetera? Is this a – because they feel like they need it? Is this trying to get, I don't know, trying to symbol to other people, like signal out saying like this is what I've got where I might not have it, like like people buying a nice BMW on debt? Like where do you see this kind of coming from? Well, this is our wiring. We are, this is where I look at it and go, we are deep-seatingly wired to one, want to fit in, right? We mm. don't want to be uh, out of our tribe because if you go back in time, if you were like, you know, excommunicated from your tribe, that meant death. Yep. Right? And then the second thing is, is that we're very, very good on like, we, we want status because the higher your status, the better your choice in mate. So for example, if you um, live in a nicer area that has people believe their status is higher and that's viewed as, you know, you're improving your, you know, rise on the chain. Yep. So for a lot of people, we mask those things and we go, well, we justify it in really interesting ways about, you know, I want my kids to go to this school. <laughs> yeah, I might've said that on this podcast before. Yeah, we want to tell. We want to go to a party, and, and and subconsciously we want to tell people we live in a better area than they do, so that they think yeah. more highly of us. So there's there's all these factors that go into it, and I'll, I'll be honest on this one. I've certainly felt that way. Like I, in other episodes, people have heard me rant on about you know buying uh, a car just to impress people, or moving to an area just to impress people. And uh, for people that are listening right now, they uh, I encourage them to go check out those previous episodes. I think it was. Uh, looking rich versus being rich was the yep. one where we really deep dived into this. But you are absolutely fighting up some deep-seated emotions here. So th this has been something that has been interesting for myself. So I, I've had a, a lot of people quite close to me that have been challenging this where they bought $200,000 cars and I kind of know their income. They bought had massive, massive mortgages on one or two places. They kind of bounced between on my like holiday houses in addition to it. And I'm like, that would scare the living 
daylights out of me to the point that I would never be able to sleep. But it was actually interesting. I, I think that the reason that I am the way that I am is because of the way that I was brought up where it's like very frugal. Like we had a very normal house. Like uh, it was out in Gippsland, Victoria. Like it was, this is kind of it. Like you're just living within your means. You're not sort of stretching yourself out. You're not sort of trying to posturize to anybody. But I've seen that actually send other people in the complete opposite direction. Where yeah, like So let me pose you something here, right? Pose it here. <clears throat> you're saying I wouldn't sleep. With, let, let's ramp this up. Let's say it's a $3 million house <laughs> and you're going to have a $2.5 million mortgage, right? Completely. You wouldn't sleep, right? You sure? I wouldn't now, sleep. Now, let's pretend you believe the only way your child can be successful in life is if they go to the school that is in the catchment of that house. So you've got a choice. Grant, are you going to sleep or is your, are you going to have your child be successful? Which one are you going to pick? See, but this is a challenging question because I, hey, I hey, was not. You didn't pick. I, well, I was not raised, so I would go. Like I was not raised around those kind of schools, and I, I think I'm mildly successful. The So the point for me is like maybe it's because I've seen people be successful without having those things. Yeah, so to the point, see how like the beliefs come into it here, and this is how many people totally. get caught into these mortgages. But so for me, I'm a high school dropout, and for all my friends that went to uni, I like well not to gloat or do it in a way, but like I probably I make more than them. So totally. for me, I go university a waste of time. The purpose of uni was to get you ready to make money in the world. I didn't do that, and I make more than you. In turn, that's a waste of time. And I'm not yep. saying uni is the waste of time. It's just my experience would have me believe that. I realize university is a can be a really good thing for people. And do you think that people actually subconsciously think to that level of going? you know what, I want my children to go to this great school. I want to live in this great house, whether I'm trying to signal to other people or make sure that my kids have got what they want or this is what I've always wanted and if I don't do it, I'm going to die without having what I wanted, right? And do they actually understand the second and third and fourth order consequences on this? Or have they just is this just showing you what they think and what they believe of going, this is what I need to do? Because to you and I, right, I would argue that we live decently frugal, lives to other people it might not be because we want to I had an experience yesterday we we do not <laughs> so let me I'll rewind that decently good lives I think frugal is perspective right but when I told someone I have 20 Lululemon t-shirts they were like <laughs> you wait you spent 20 you, 20 times 60 dollars on Lululemon t-shirts I'm like <laughs> yes and they looked at me like yeah. Anyway, I'll come back to that at another point. But I want to throw in one more factor here. So we're talking about this purely from that perspective, but the other one is a lot of people buy homes in areas to be close to family. So it's like if your parental one. support or if your other family all lives in this area, you don't want to not fit in. So that's a big driver for people as well. So let's say, uh, and I'll just pick on Sydney and Rose Bay for this example. Oh. Because right? I know that's an expensive area and a beautiful area. I'm not picking on that at all. But if your whole family is in that area, right, and you want to be close to them and that's where your tribe is fitting in, guess what type of house you're going to buy? If your family values education and they went to a certain school, guess what school you're going to want to send your kids to? Yeah, It's like that's the subconscious. And uh, to give a Melbourne example, that would be the same as like Turak or Brighton, right? These are, if you're in those connections, like that southeastern uh, whole uh, area of Victoria, so the southeastern suburbs from Melbourne, like they're quite expensive regions. Yep. And are you going to be the person to in your family that's going to be the black sheep and go, do you know what? I'm completely cool with living 100 kilometres out of the city in a new land estate. 
And you're talking to a guy that completely ran overseas for seven years. <laughs> so I'm totally fine with being the black sheep. But that, that that's the interesting point around like because it's not ingrained in so many people. I still know people that I grew up with who now work at the primary school that we went together in and they'd never left that bubble. And it just comes back to the what makes business owners different in this situation around being able to comprehend and understand this concept around what is too much house because – Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to say this. My question to you, Charlie, and this is going to be a pointed question, is imagine someone's listening to this and they will justify. Like I'm sitting here going, you know what? If I lived in Brighton or in Rose Bay, to use that as an example, and I've got a son or a daughter and I'm right next to my school and I'm in this great house that's got this, I don't know, good view of a beach that inspires me every single day, how do I know it's too much house? I mean, already in there. So now I'm, I'm living and breathing. Now I'm like, I can pay the bills, pay the mortgage. I might be able to put a little bit away for a holiday. Like, does that mean I've got just enough house? Like, is there a ratio? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. Now, I'll throw one more factor as well, not to keep twisting the knife, but it's like if you've had your parents buy a house in an area and then they've ended up quite successful and then they've been encouraging you in your youth to buy a house in that area because it's like, you know, made them financially successful. And You've seen people who have bought a house in this area, they've done really well. Guess what you're going to want to do or think of doing? Exactly what I did. (laughs) Yep. All right. So I I read this really interesting book and I'll I'll have this – it had an impact to me because I love the way it makes you do the maths. So there's a book by someone called Vicky Robinson and it's called Your Money or Your Life. And I'll give you the really impactful lesson from the book. She's like, think of something you're going to buy, right? So there might be a house in this example. And then she goes, work out uh, what you get paid as an hourly rate. So as a business owner, take your average monthly earnings for the last 12 months, put it into an hour, and she goes, work out how many hours you have to work to pay for that thing. Yep. Now, uh, in Australia, housing is expensive. Now, when you work out that if you're going to buy a home that's a million dollars, let's say, and how many hours you're actually going to have to work, the calculation will be years, not weeks. Now, in her case, she talks about doing it down to the level of like iPhones, and then going, uh, or even lower, it's like, you know, for the newest iPhone, let's say that's three grand, it's like, are you happy to work the amount of hours to have that thing? Yeah. And her whole uh, decision-making process in her life has been that she's always calculated how much t- of her time she would have to give up to buy things. So she calculated her whole life in like time instead of like what things cost. So she'd be like, all right, I'm going to buy this car. It's going to uh, cost me three months of my life or six months of my life. Is it worth it? So when you apply this to housing, if you've got your principal place of residence or a place you want to live in, like it's, it, it is and it isn't an investment. It definitely is an asset you own, but it doesn't produce any income and it's going to come with a lot of debt. The likelihood is that you're going to have to work for a number of years to pay that and there's going to be an opportunity cost that comes from it because you could have used that money to invest. You could have been a rent vester or if you buy a smaller house or a, a house in an area that isn't as let's call it affluent as the one you may be looking in, right, you're going to be spending less as well. And I thought it was a really good book. I enjoyed the book because it got me to kind of calculate a few things. And at that time, I was actually considering buying quite an expensive home. All right. So when we start to think about things in that way, then the next thing comes from it of going, well, do that maths for yourself. So if you're going to buy that $3 million home or uh, going to buy whatever it is, it can be hugely impactful. And I'm not against people buying expensive stuff at the right time, clearly, but to do it early in your journey, so if you're a business owner and like you haven't got a good amount of investments built outside your business and inside your business, the chances are it's not the time to buy the dream home. Yeah. 
Like it's unlike it's very very likely that if you buy too much house at this point, you're actually going to end up delaying getting to a great position in a big way by many many years. That concept of time actually kind of flips the script, right? Because for me, I've always used like the one third. You know how like on the news they're always like, and about one third of all households costs is like the mortgage and the rent. And then the other third is like the living expenses. And then like one third is kind of like enjoying it. The concept of how long would this actually take for you to pay down actually applies like this tangibility to it. It's like, oh, I'm never going to get time back where money always seems replenishable. And so that concept of actually bringing it back to what's going to take me, and I know you and I have spoken about this for a couple of people, like it might take them 10, 15, 20 years just to pay down one house, which is majority of their business owning life. And then on the other side of it, they'll go, oh, now I'm going to start looking about investments. And now they've missed out on all that compounding. Completely. Yeah. So So just to go to a point in that, one of the things we have to recognize in Australia is that your principal place of residence is tax-free growth. So you don't pay any capital gains tax when you sell your own home. Um, You do pay uh, stamp duty still, though. There are some costs and things that come with it, and obviously council rates, things like that. It is still costable coming from a home, but you do get the ability not to pay capital gains tax, and there's no land tax on your principal place of residence. So there are some – this is where it's kind of an investment, but the problem is is if you get to your retirement and all you've got is a house and nothing that produces income for you or nothing you can sell to actually fund your lifestyle – you're going to be in a very difficult position. But I want to give you this ratio because I'll keep going on this narrative. The thing I came up with that I think works really well um, is the idea that you don't want your principal place of residence to be more than 20% of your net worth. Yeah. Like that's that that was the goal for me. And I, I originally had it at 30% and I moved it down to 20 because I feel like that's much a better way to think about it. And to give you an idea, that means if your house is worth a million dollars, right, you would want to have $4 million worth of other assets, yep. right? Because that type of ratio will make sure that there's way more compounding going on outside your uh, principal place of residence than just on it. Because the challenge becomes is that you can't sell your principal place of residence if you need income. Yep. And it's, not, it's you, a not income producing asset. Like it doesn't bring you cash flow. Correct. Now, a lot of people are going to hear that and go, that sounds fantastic, right? But like that's very, very unattainable when you start to think about like what that means for how much net worth you need to build outside it. But I think of it like a sliding sale. So if you've just got your principal place of residence today, right, that's what you want to be moving towards as you're getting further in the journey. Like if you're just starting your investing today, like clearly you're not going to have 100% of your, uh, sorry, 20% value on your home versus the 80% outside it. But I think it's something people should be working towards. And even just improving that ratio can make a massive difference. Yeah. The thing that I think about it, right, is how many people who have bought a house to achieve all of the things that we've spoken about, being close to schools, be close to family, be uh, a size that would support the growth of their family, et cetera, has ever looked at a type of property that's an investment grade. <laughs> like they look, like they bought this house and they're like, oh, yeah, over a period of time, this is going to go up. And like, if I was to rent this out, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Most of the people that I know that have a nice house, did if they ever put that on the rental market, the yield or the return that they would get on that property would be eye-wateringly low to the point that it's like, great, like this is the way with your ratio of a one to five or a 20%. It doesn't matter then because all of your capital growth and your cash flow, which is your yield on your investment properties, is coming from 80% of your net wealth and 20%, it almost doesn't matter if it doesn't grow. It almost doesn't matter 
because that is there in order to support your lifestyle, in order to support the family, in order to support all of these other things where you don't have this necessity just to keep up with the Joneses for this thing to be returning like an asset does or like an investment property does. So I, I like I like that concept quite quite a bit, especially for someone like myself where I'm dude, I'm 100% in on investments. Like I just rent, I couldn't care less and the investments help pay for the rent, et cetera. So I'm like, oh yeah, I could totally get into going and buying an, a, an actual house in the event that we go, great, let's go and settle down for schools, et cetera. I think it's a great ratio for people to think through. Yeah, so let's settle it. Between 20 and 30%, I think, is probably right for people. I'm going for more 20%, but even if people go for 30%, it would be. I still think that type of ratio would work in their favour. Of course, not financial advice. Not but really. I think, yeah, the, the factors that really become concerning is if you end up near retirement and only have a principal place of residence, you're going to have to do really risky stuff to create an income. And I think that's a dangerous move. The other thing is if you buy too much house too early in the business owner journey and you end up creating this liability, it's just going to take you too many years to dig out of that hole and start investing where you, again, miss out on the, all the compounding that's going to happen in that time. And it's like you end up actually significantly worse off from a net wealth perspective because you created a trap for yourself. Not to mention yeah. it prevents you from making moves in business because you have to earn which I know we've covered in other topics and I, w- I won't harp on about that more deeply. I just want people to really uh, take consideration for that. And do you know what? If you've bought too much house and- uh, I was going to be my next the- point. That was literally going <laughs> to go on, continue. I am not saying it's easy to downsize or downgrade. It is like incredibly challenging. Like it's, uh, what is it? Simple, not easy. The idea yep. of, oh, I bought too much house. I'll just sell it and I'll buy less house. Like that's going to like take a hit to your ego. It is, and you're going to feel shitty about it. But I just look at it and go, it's so worth it to set yourself up to be in a financially strong position so you can take advantage of things rather in like a position of desperation where you need to be looking after a mortgage. Yeah, having the the ball and chain sort of dragging you back and every time you try and step forward, there's something that just keeps holding you back and you're forever looking back going, how do I make sure that thing is always paid for and how do I try and win at business and how do I try and do it? And it's interesting because even in my personal situation, you know how hard it would be to have a house uh, of a certain size and then step back or a certain location and then say, you know what, I'm I'm willing – to go and move elsewhere and willing to downsize, sell some furniture, sell all these things just to go and do it. I, I think that is where, and we've spoken about this before, having a partner that is on the journey with you, having a family that completely understands because we'll make mistakes along the way. Like I don't expect that everybody listening to this hasn't bought a house for themselves to live in, but I see a lot of people who are listening to this going, oh, wow, you know what, this is <laughs> something I have never thought about um, with the ratios of uh, like one-fifth of or sort of twenty percent of your network. Let's thing. just go with twenty to thirty for people. I think yeah, working 20. towards that is a really, I think, strong thing to be considering. And then the key markers is if you buy too, uh, if you buy too much of a house where it prevents you from doing the investing, you know you've bought too much house. Totally right. And if your net worth is like, if you're looking at it and going, oh, look, it's, I've got it to ten percent, right? You know. Well, maybe this is a time where you can upgrade and do something at the right time. Or maybe you're in your later years and you look at this and go, I'm cool. I've, I've gotten to this point. Now I can go buy that dream home or that luxury thing. Like create an actual plan where you can hit the goal of having what you want and it all works together. Okay, I'm going to hammer this one home. Hey, Charlie, 
On your uh, net wealth trackers, do you actually have the principal place of residence on there? So we do have the uh, – yes, we do because it is an asset that could be sold, but it doesn't have an income and it annoys the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, damn, this debt that's in. But totally. It's I, a consi- I it. it is a consideration. So I do – because it could be sold, we do definitely include it on there. But at the same time, we recognise that the running costs on that are a liability that the other parts of the portfolio have, have to problem. support. Speaking about supporting, I'm going to jump onto the next question because I think that we hammered that one home. <laughs> the I've had quite a few conversations with people and these haven't sort of popped up in the Facebook group and I can completely understand why. This is a, it is a very sort of confronting question and it's really a question that people ask behind closed doors and go for these things. But I think it's super important for us to kind of bring up uh, through our discussions because essentially what people were saying to me, Charlie, was like, I'm earning in my business, um, but I'm always worried that it's like not enough or I'm paranoid that I, something's going to happen. I'm going to completely lose it and it's going to stop me from investing. And it's almost this, you know what, my business earns, but where? Like there's always going to be this lurking monster that's going to just jump on me. That's going to rip everything away from me. And more and more, especially in what we're kind of, kind of seeing in the today's environment, these questions and these sort of sharing points that people are saying to like even myself and I know to yourself are popping up more and more and more and more. Like how, yeah, why are they appearing more now but how should people think about it? How many times have you heard the stat that 90% of businesses fail in the first five years? I think we've mentioned it way too many times but yes. I've heard it across the whole journey of being a business owner. Yep. So what if we're hearing that and we all believe it? Because we think that we're not a statistical anomaly. What about only the paranoid survive? Yeah. Do you think you can get complacent in business, Grant, and it'll, it's all going to be okay? Hell's no, dude. I know a competitor's going to be sitting there smashing more hours, more effort, smarter at it. Yeah, so what if we should be worried? What if we should actually have a little bit of paranoia here and that actually like keeps us sharp? Like if, if you're a you boxer and you're in the ring and there's some guy over there like literally with hands up ready to punch you, I'll bet the mental focus is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it totally is. As long as it's not paralyzing to the point of like freaking out. Completely. That's kind of where I was going with that point here is that I think it would be very justified for many business owners to feel some version of that in some way. Yeah. So I, I give you one for myself. Um, like I was a plumber, right? Literally like putting toilets in, fixing up block drains, all things that are plumbing. Right? And then I, I got into uh, marketing and I hadn't gone to university, hadn't done a, a degree. I felt that everyone in that was already in the industry knew way more than me. I felt like I wasn't enough, didn't know enough, didn't have the connections, right? All these things. And it actually made me, well, paranoid. I was like, oh, they went to uni and they've, you know, I bet you he was in a class with some CEO's friend and like he's got all these inroads that I'll never have. Oh, they learnt all these secret skills at uh, university that I, I don't have and it like made me incredibly driven. So it became fuel for me and then what did it mean is I bought every course, I went to every mastermind, I did every training, I got up early and would practice things because I had this thing that it like turned into really good drive for me. But because of that, the other symptom of it was is I continually felt like my business was going to fail because I didn't have the things other people would have. Mm. 
and it like definitely not a good thing for me in business, but also became useful at times. So I just want people to see that there's kind of two sides to it. Is like a little bit of um, paranoia <laughs> or fear that it could all end can yeah. be really, really fantastic. But if you take that stuff too far where it's like, I'll use the uh, comparison to like doomsday preppers. In the last few years, I have to say, are becoming more and more justified. <laughs> Wait, you don't have a zombie bunker in the backyard? I, d- I think that it's like the idea of having 12 months food and water hidden in your house is not as crazy as it once upon uh, seemed. <laughs> well, like, like two years worth of toilet paper kicking around. Like. Completely, right? <laughs> if, have you not got a little bit of doomsday prepper about you? I've got some canned food in this house yeah, now. I, I got got didn't have that before. <laughs> got some tuna kicking around. <laughs> but yes, I, I, I completely get it. Yeah, so I wonder how many business owners have like confronted that. Or, or sat with that or thought about that. So for me, what actually kind of flipped the switches a little bit is like I started realising by comparison I was way more paranoid than other people and I was way more fearful and worried about other people and I, I eventually over time became more and more comfortable in my skin. But you, you see this represented in many, many ways, but like that's just like one of them for myself. Did you have any of that in business? Yeah. See, I came from, I came from the other way. And so I, I kind of got and this, here we go. Now we're going to go deep, Charlie. Let's do so it. the interesting thing in sort of my upbringing through sort of graduating high school and going into university was I was always told that I was very smart, and then I was also a smart ass, which people listening to this podcast probably know. I'm no one ever smart. would have guessed that at all. <laughs> totally, uh, which meant that like typically I was seen as like the smartest person in the room because I could pick up concepts very quickly, pick up frameworks very quickly, etc. And so when when I went through university and I studied business, like for me, it was like, cool, well, everybody seems to need me. I don't seem to need everybody else, which means I'll just keep doing my thing and my intellect will continue pushing me through. And then, but the opposite happened is when I got into business, that paranoia of having so much confidence and such a big ego actually forced me to see that I'm like, well, hang on, wait, <laughs> is this actually how I'm going to win a business? Right? Because that paranoia, it's almost like, having too much ego but just not having the muscles to go and support it. So in that boxing ring, it's like, oh, man, I'm going to crush you. And there's like a guy that's never fought before. <laughs> and this is like <laughs> the other and the other guy in the ring's got like, you know, 64-0 and knockout record. And you're like, I've got this, I've got this. Like, Don't worry about it, guys. I won't, even, I won't even prep. Like I'll just cruise in. Don't worry, I'll, I'll knock this guy out. And then I'd walk into the ring. But the challenge with business was I'm battling against no one but myself. Did you and get so, hum- did this result in you getting like humbled in moments? Did this mean the overconfidence meant you did actually take some knockout hits? Totally, totally. So in business, man, like I I struggled right at the start to sell because obviously I had this over uh, overconfidence, but then the delivery wasn't there. Uh, every time I went to like meetups and and masterminds and like I would talk a lot and I'd make a lot of jokes and all these kind of things and I'd be humbled by smarter people around me who would second question some of my concepts and theories. And I'm like, oh, wait, you're more well-versed at this than I am. And it was actually interesting, a couple of years into it, I'd made this huge pivot to being the quietest guy in the room, being surrounded by smarter people than me and just absorbing everything like a sponge because I got completely humbled and my business was stagnant because of it. And so the only way that I was going to actually progress through it, like I knew I could earn, I knew I could be successful, was by being this sponge and actually absorbing and, doing all these things. But the second second thing that I want to share on this as well, because that's like was me starting to become paranoid in my ability to earn, 
was when I when I went to like I lived over in the Philippines for seven years. There's another symptom that kind of came from this for me was I knew that I could always earn. People would always pay for my skill sets because they always saw that I I knew whatever they needed to solve. But the challenge for me was even though I was living a great life, I always had my computer at least half a meter away from me because like I never wanted to stop. I never wanted to not miss an opportunity. I always thought that something was going to burn in the business which would make the business crumble. And so it wasn't the point of me not being able to earn enough money. It was actually the opposite of if I didn't work an hour, it was actually going to be doomed. So literally I'd, I'd wake up at 4 a.m., do my yoga, do my meditation, do all these things. And then like the gym was always five minutes away from home. <clears throat> when I'd go to like a, a resort for a week, I'd always have like the computer there and I'd double check everything. And like I was just glued to this thing on nothing but paranoia that if something bad happened, I needed to be able to respond to it within a second. And that's like the same symptom of being paranoid that you're just not going to be able to make the money that you're making. So isn't this interesting? So my uh, business journey has been more fear-based of like I'm not enough and I need to become enough and yours is I am enough and then it's like actually had different symptoms. Because there's, there's a few you see from this is like when people feel like they're not enough, like you're continually trying to prove you are. Yep. Which – is me. And then when other people don't, they go ambitiously into the ring with a guy with a strong knockout record. And that can have other like this guy. Fascinating. The the one I notice as well, and, and I see this often is what will happen for people is they'll continually work on their product and making their product better. Right? Because they feel that their product always needs to be better. And for some people it really does, right? Their product or service should be better. <laughs> totally. Totally. But it's uh, very common for someone to sit there and keep trying to make their product or service better, and they won't sell it. I'm from the I'm from the software as a service space, Charlie. <laughs> you know how many people I've seen spend millions of dollars on a product that no one has ever actually used. I actually spoke to someone the other week, uh, and they've been pro- and I, they listen to this podcast. Uh, they've been producing their SaaS, and they were going to do like a launch, and then let people in in three months. I'm like, how many people have used this thing? None. <laughs> And I'm like, you have to get people to use this thing because to your point, perfect, perfection, 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 they'll just never launch the thing. I think your point around people working bigger hours to compensate for it as well, right? Because if you if you feel your business is fragile, of course you're going to be like device hungry, like, oh, I've got to grab it and be on this. Like what if that email doesn't get replied to quickly? And the, the TP, you force everything to come to you. You are the linchpin. You are oh, I totally everything. did that. Yep. I totally did that. It's <sighs> like... You're not going to put a single thing live until I've seen it, until I've reviewed it. As a matter of fact, you're not going to be good enough to do these things. I will do it, right? And so what you do is you end up just forcing everything back into yourself and then you just limit everything. With ad accounts, I would never let people publish the works unless I checked them. Completely. Amazing. I'm interested. I didn't pick up on that one. Uh, well, I suspect we've um, uh, twisted the knife on this one a little bit. I'm certainly remembering a lot of my experiences in business. How did this change for you, though? How did you get over it? Or have you? Is this something that came from time? Like you seem to have a great awareness to it now, and that's likely the first step. But is there anything you did to change this? Yeah, being humbled, being knocked out is always a good thing. Well, that's uh, It's like I, I always represent to everybody that I've just learned lessons way too many times by failing and so, and so like the school of hard knocks has definitely been true um and that that has led to that pivot that i was talking about where like everyone had always sort of built me up and they st- to an extent they they still kind of do but i'm always looking at it saying well no 
this is not this is a forever game. I always have to continue pushing for intellect, pushing to make sure I'm not the linchpin, pushing to make sure I always have cash buffers, pushing to do all of these things because I'm uh, I'm not this person that everyone potentially thinks I am or that I used to think that I was. And so the big pivot for me was I didn't do a course. I didn't do anything. It was just the school of hard knocks of just learning by failing of people just not going, uh, like me delivering something, for example, and they're like, what the hell is this? Like where is the fundamentals gone? What does this mean? Like it hasn't produced the results that you thought it would. I'm like, but it has before, right? And so those school of hard knocks has really sort of humbled me to go like I'm super intellectual, super smart. I can solve these things. Just don't know enough to solve it now. How am I going to solve it? And that was the same for like earning, same for delivery, same for everything. What about you? Yeah, it might come from a different way. I'll say the probably – I'll go through these here is that the longer I've been in business, the more confident I become that I can make it another year. So in the beginning, let's say that, you know, my first year of business, I was terrified it was all going to fall apart practically all the time. But after five years, I'm like, well, you've survived five years. Chances are you can survive a sixth. So mm-hmm. kind of like the longer you're in business, I think I've developed less fear of it all falling apart. Definitely played a role. The second thing is that uh, what uh, comparison So by being involved in masterminds and spending time with other people doing similar things, I would look at people that had been in the industry a long time and go, we're not far off what they do. Like they've been doing this for 10 years. So you start to become like normalize the result. So that definitely played a role for me. Um, Validation from people who had done it ahead of the journey through mentors. That's a big one. See that because me, it was always through failure, right? because I was so smart when people were talking about their lessons or perceivably smart, I'm, I'm putting air quotes up. Um, so when people would share their lessons of like, don't do this grant because it could lead to this. I'm like, that's just because you can't run 10 businesses at once. Doesn't mean I can't. I love the confidence. <laughs> I absolutely totally. love your confidence on this. <laughs> it's totally. like, oh, you should, uh, uh, <laughs> it's like, don't limit me by your limitations. Just because Completely. you can only one run business, I can run 10. <laughs> Dude, I can totally chase five rabbits and catch them all. Watch this guy. Watch Flash at his go. Amazing. Until I try it, it just fall, fall completely apart. Yeah, so w- when I had um, mentors, I would almost be like, so think of this, if I buy a cookbook and there's a recipe in it, I expect if I follow the recipe, I'm going to get the result. Completely. So when I would work with a mentor, if I was following their recipe and asking them diligent questions of like, well, what am I missing? What am I not doing? And validating it with my books, that definitely kind of helped remove some of that to me. So like I would like, and even to the point where it's like, uh, what do they call it? Like mystery shopper or shadow shopper? Yes. I did actually um, sign up. So this is when I had my ad agency. Um, I actually signed up to work with one of the bigger agencies in Melbourne just to see what it was like. So I became a client of theirs just to see what how different they were to what we were doing. And I, <laughs> so we do this really well. We do this like, better than them. And it, it actually like – and there were some things we didn't do as well. I'll also clarify they had some mad skills that I didn't know about. But that was absolutely very, very helpful. So it, it's interesting that for me like I took a lot of validation from other areas mm. to be able to kind of really put this to bed. But I will also say just one more point on the last of it. I believe I need to be a continuous learner. So I'm that. always upskilling and improving my skills from here because I'm like, if I get, um, if I lose my edge, right, if I become complacent, 
I've seen business owners get complacent and then just go, oh, I'm doing enough and this is going to last forever mm. and then not go well where I'm like I'm always on the forefront of things. Like I'm more open-minded to keeping improving my skills so that I remain that way. And like great example at the moment, I'm sure people have seen it, is like I'm learning TikTok ads right now. Like I'm going there because I look at it and go that if that becomes the thing, I want to be ahead of that curve where I think if people currently, if you know, let's say Facebook ads have always worked for them, it would be easy for them to go, well, we don't need to learn that. Or I think that mentality can certainly help. And it, yeah, for myself, like ever since I was, what do we call it? Ever since I was schooled, <laughs> it's always like I now have this view of like um, – and it's, I always put it to like you stress and de-stress where like one of them is really focused in on like that negative stress that pulls you down, that makes you not want to get out of bed, et cetera, where the other ones that jump it into a boxing ring to try and knock the other person out, like it's a positive stress. And I always look at that positive stress going, okay, well, how do I make sure that I can know a bit more than the other person? How do I make sure that I'm trying some new things that might actually be applicable back into the business? Um and so those are the ways that I really sort of approach it because to the same point as you, like you and I send each other YouTube links, uh, podcast links, everything always because we're pushing, trying to push it. We're talking to people around, to your point, TikTok ads. We're talking to people around operations. We're talking to people about what they're doing because it's like, what are we not seeing? Where, where are we not pushing hard enough? How are we not approaching that other people are approaching it from their way? Um, but the the interesting thing that I wanted to sort of come back around on this is that concept of like really turning that paranoia into not a paralysis by analysis, like actually using that as a as like this kind of motivational tool, a tool that you can use to sort of push forwards and push hard. And I know that you've done probably some kind of course or some kind of education around this and things, or your the masterminds you've been in, or the mentors that you've had have kind of coached you on it. Like, what kind of mental concepts of what or what have they walked you through in order for you to kind of work through this and progress through this? It's a really good question because th- the challenge I ra- ran up against is let's say that I operated completely from fear and paranoia for the first uh, few years of business. It's actually not sustainable. Mm. Like it's a great way to get burnt out apparently. And I- I'll attest apparently. to yeah, so um, I look at that and I hit a point where like I was very, very run down, very, very burnt out and continually like running from something. Yep. So I had to very much develop myself to like be excited to running to something. So I don't do things out of uh, fear today too often and I will preface that too often because things happen and I absolutely do. Like if we get a uh, month of our financials and it wasn't expected, of course I'm like I don't want that to happen again and I, totally. I, I react to it. I, I think elimination is – not possible. Like challenges will come and we will act from a place of something not wanting to happen. It won't always be gain. But this just comes back once again to like, I think what we were discussing earlier is like the mentorship, Mm. right? And finding people that have crossed these bridges and like, uh, it's no um, secret here. And I'll tell the story again. My, um, in my first business, I hit a certain level and then I thought it was the business that was the problem. So then I got rid of the business or I I sold the business to be frank, got into another business and then got to the same level, a completely different business, different service, different operations, different people, but it got to the same level, Grant. Don't you find it interesting that both businesses got to the same level? Oh, very interesting. (laughs) Right. So what's the only common denominator between the two? It would be the individual running the business, would it, Charlie? (sighs) The day I had to swallow the tough pill and I realized I'm like, oh, shit, 
I'm the problem. <laughs> the look inwards. Yeah, so that sparked a bit of a like personal development journey for me. And that's where I really started to take things more seriously, like my mindset and my deeper work, which I think could be hugely advantageous for business owners in, in this path. I would go on to say that for a lot of business owners, the thing that's actually preventing them from getting to the next level in business is actually them. Totally. I just have a lot of people. So maybe it's not buying the next course on TikTok ads. Although if I make a course on TikTok ads, please buy that shit. You buy it. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely buy it. But maybe it's going, okay, I've got to work on my mindset here. Mm. or, hey, I need to get a mentor that's actually like done the thing further down the road so that I can take on the mindset they have or the beliefs they have or develop the confidence that this can get to there. Like it is a variety of ways to tackle it, but I just think this comes back to like doing that, what they call deeper work on yourself. And I like that concept of like thinking inwards. Like so many people, how many people have we spoken to regularly, Charlie, where the whole reason why their business is not successful is because they're not doing sales and marketing correctly or that some other marketing tactic will be the unlocker as opposed to everything else that operates in their business, which is Dude, a great symptom. Shut of up. This is how we make all our money. Stop telling everyone. We need everyone to believe that sales and marketing is the problem, right? If they only had a really successful podcast, that it would like everything would be solved. All of it. All your problems would go away. All of them. <laughs> you said, Degenerate. <laughs> it's outrageously amazing. If more people liked your posts on social media, you will oh, you will win at life. That's the difference. <laughs> well, maybe I'm not successful then. <laughs> but but this is the thing, right? And I will I will wheel the bag because that glass ceiling, like a lot of the time, is it should be reflected upon inside internally. The, I would almost argue, Charlie, and I'll go out on a limb here to go and twist that little knife that's kind of been stuck in there. The only reason why businesses are stagnant as to where they are at is because of the business owner. Do you know what I used to say to myself? I'll give you this one here. If um, like I'm a bit of a fanboy of Keith Cunningham. I know you are too. A little bit. Yeah, so I used to ask myself this question. I used to have it written down on a, a post-it note and, and I had it on the edge of my computer, which was, if Keith Cunningham became the CEO of your business today, what would he do? Because I was like, clearly this is a guy that's achieved much more than me. He, and then the gap came down to, well, he knows something I don't. He believes something I don't believe. So it's like, well, clearly I'm the difference. Because if you swapped the CEO or the famous story from like Jocko's book of like uh, extreme ownership, it's like boat yep. six and two. If you swap to the leader, the result will be different. So if Warren Buffett started running my investment portfolio, what moves would he make? Because the difference is who's making the decisions. It's the business owner in this case here. And I think that that's such a good sort of rounding back to people being worried where they're not enough or they're worried about losing it or they're worried. And, and I like your, dif- your differentiation between some kind of paranoia is great especially if you can use it for good because you will try and go out and solve those problems. So anyone who's listening to this, that is the problem to solve. It is the where does this come from? Where do I feel like the glass ceiling or where do I feel like I have hit the glass ceiling? Go and speak to mentors, go and look at what other people have done, nothing in the same industry because I guarantee you people have gone through it. But if it's really um, like stopping you, deliberately like holding you back because it's like a paralysis analysis, like that is a horrific position to be in. But just reaching out to people, talking to people, maybe joining the full stack business owner community Facebook group and seeing other people who are doing 
the thing and just saying, hey, like this is challenging me. Like having that community around you to actually peel back and say, well, why are you slowing down? Why are you stopping? Because everybody should continue to progress, continue to improve. Because I would argue, Charlie, sitting in front of your computer, smashing your keyboard and emailing more people and telling your team and refining your product is probably not going to help you earn more. Can I throw one more in? Just saying. Go for it. All right, so I went to a mastermind event, and I'll say this actually really helped me. I went to a mastermind event, and I met a guy that I'll, I'll put it here is like there was a few tools missing from the toolbox. Right. <laughs> what, a few yeah. kangaroos short of the top paddock? Like- <laughs> this was not an individual anyone would describe as smart or intelligent or skilled, and he made more money than me. It's a great way to describe me, Charlie. Thank you. Yeah, so whenever I see someone that I perceive, and again, you just got to look at it, when you see someone that you uh, clearly have, you've developed skills past there and they're killing it compared to you, it's like, well, if they can do it, why can't you? Yep. It always annoys me perceivably, and I say perceivably because it's all from, you know, my uh, perceptions, Except- is like, if I see an idiot in my industry doing it way better than me, why can't I? Totally. And we see it all the time. It's a it's a fascinating thing to think that there's people out there that are dumber than you, less experienced, have less money, achieving more. <laughs> and, and instead of like what, instead of being jealous of it or throwing rocks at it, maybe ask the question: What are they doing? How are they approaching it? Putting the sticky note on. I used to have the effective hourly rate on my computer. Uh, well, what am I that. doing? That's worth a thousand dollars. I think it's had five thousand dollars per hour written on it and it was like like stuck on the bottom it was like with a labeling machine uh, perfect let's wrap this one up let's do it booyah i just want to say every, thank you to absolutely everybody for tuning in again join the facebook group full stack business owner community if you do want to submit any questions or just reply straight back to charlie's nudes i mean charlie's emails because he sends out some valuable valuable information uh, but also we collate all of those questions we talk a lot about what are, what are the ones that are going to add value to absolutely everybody so be sure that you're interacting be sure that you're on the newsletter i just want to say thank you and thank you again to you charlie for joining us and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of full stack a business owner